Now, tomorrow by date, but this weekend is our church's 23rd anniversary. So it's 23 years ago that we started our church. It was, it was on the 4th of October in 1998 that we rented a room in a hotel. Uh, I put an advert in a couple of local papers and we made some preparations and set out 50 chairs and waited to see if anybody would show up. <laughs> and uh, with God's help, we've come a long way since then. I do want to say today, I, I just want to mention and give a shout out, and you know who you are, to the, those of you who were with us back in those days of the inn at Medford and then into the Crystal Swan, where those were very much our formative years. And for those of you that have been with us from those days to this, I want to tell you I thoroughly appreciate you, and I'm absolutely grateful for your commitment and faithfulness to God, to the vision, and to me. It's been an interesting road. If you walk in today to a really nice building with a crowd of people, it wasn't always this way. We've had some battles and we've had some tough times, but I thank those of you who were so key to building the foundation. Rick, who's playing bass today, was playing guitar for us on our very first Sunday. <laughs> There's faithfulness for you. There really is. And as I mentioned before, I said this last week, the, 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 the whole thing with me when we were starting a church, I, I, I had some particular things in mind. I had been pastoring at that stage for 28 years. I had been pastoring on Long Island for seven years. And I had got to the, I'd come to the point where, where I'd, I had these great revelations. And here's what I had realized. Church people go to church. And unchurched people don't go to church. Right? Okay, bear with me because there's more to it. But actually to come to realize that to start with is important. Church people go to church. Unchurched people don't go to church. But what I had come to realize, especially in the seven years I've been on the island, was that faith was still important to unchurched people generally. But church was looked upon as being irrelevant. Are you with me now? So it wasn't that they weren't interested in God. It wasn't interested there wasn't some spiritual thirst within them. But the fact was church was totally irrelevant as far as they were concerned. And the whole concept for us when we started our church was we want a church that actually will appeal to the unchurched because church people already got churches. Are you following me? Right? So church people are well taken care of, but unchurched people are looking for a church that really, you know, meets their need and scratches their itch and, and speaks to them on their wavelength. And when we started our church 23 years ago, my, 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 my sole vision that day and my sole vision today is I want to see people coming in those doors who, who are disconnected from church, who have no connection with church, who maybe are struggling on their faith journey or have have no relationship whatever with God. And, and, and the whole concept is let's build a church where the unchurched want to come. Amen. 
That's the goal. That was the goal. There are plenty of churches for church folks. But from the start, we wanted to do church for the unchurched. And a key part of our message was and still is remembering the fact that the grace of God is the deciding factor in our lives and in our eternities. It's not about our goodness, it's about God's greatness. It isn't about what we can do, it's about what Jesus has already done. Thank God. There's none of us that's good enough, but there's none of us that's too bad either, because it's all about the grace of God. And, and a lot of people never got that. So it's show and tell today, right? You got the message? So this is a, this is a medal I got in Scotland five years ago. I, uh, we were over there in the summer, and I'd done this a couple of times before in, in August. They did a race, and uh, I entered the race. It was 17, it's a 17 and a half mile race. And it's a grueling course. According to my Fitbit, you went up the equivalent of 180 flights of stairs while you were doing it. There were some unbelievable hills. Uh, there were three groups of participants. There were the runners, we let them go. And, uh, <laughs> There were the walkers, that's me, and there were the cyclists. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't think so. So, so, so I, 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 did, I did the race as a walker. This particular year, uh, I was determined I was going to finish in my best position and best time yet. So a couple of things I did. One was I started off, instead of hanging back, I started off right on the front row. And I knew the girl who, the girl, she's a woman, but... When we lived in Scotland, she was a girl. She was in school with Charlotte and was in our house regularly. So I know the girl who had won it the previous couple of years. And I thought, if I keep her in my sights, I'm going to do good. I wasn't going to win it, but I'm going to do really well if I can keep her in my sights. That was one of my things. The other is I don't want to pause. Now, you get to a stage in life, and if you're not there, trust me, you'll get there. You get to a stage in life where you, where you plan every journey according to where the restrooms are. Okay? Now, 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 now some of you got no idea, and you think, what a sad old man. But you'll get there. All right? So, and I knew that on this course, there was one set of restrooms about four miles in, and then for 13 and a half miles, you're on your own. So the day before, I decided to limit my liquid intake because uh, I didn't want to pause to find a bush out away from everybody else. All right, is that enough information? And then I didn't want to slow down at the water stop. So I start off in this race, and I'm doing really good. And as far as I can see, I'm in eighth position, which would have been totally fine by me. And, 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 and I kept going, I'm doing really good. I'm about eight miles into the race, and I'm feeling a bit dizzy not feeling good. My vision's getting blurred, and I'm, I'm just not feeling good. But I, I'm like, I'm talking to myself, keep going. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. And I'm pushing myself. I'm pushing myself. And I came to this bit, and I went up this big hill. And as I'm going up the hill, I think I'm going to throw up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dizzy. My eyes are going. And, and I go off to one side, and, and, and I just kind of lean on a, a rough stone wall that was there. 
and I sit for a while. And after I'd sat for a few minutes, I thought, I can't do this. And I pulled out and I called my brother-in-law who lived in Scotland there, we were staying with and he came and he picked me up and I went back to the house and here's a surprise for you. I drank gallons of fluid that afternoon because I was dehydrated. That's what was going on, right? So later I get a message from one of the race organizers who was another girl who'd been in our church there in Scotland, but she's a, a woman now. She, she, she sent me a message and said, I didn't see you at the finish line. What, are you okay? And I told her I had to pull out after 10 and a half miles. And she said, but you did really good. I'll bring you your medal later on. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. Because if you give me a medal, it devalues the medals of everybody else who completed the race. You get the medal for completing the race, not for trying. So thank you so much, but I couldn't accept it. That was Saturday. On Tuesday, I went to the start of the race course totally alone and did the whole of the 17 and a half mile race. And then, and then I messaged Jillian and said, if you want to give me the medal now, I'll take it. Right? I wouldn't take it unless I'd earned it. Now, what has my life history got to do with Sunday mornings in church? Here's the deal, folks. There are so many people who think the only way they get from God is you've got to earn it. That think salvation is something I've got to work for and work at. That think for God to love me and God to be pleased with me, then you know what? I've got to produce and I've got to show him something. And who totally miss this beautiful truth in the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you note those words? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you got that? The gift of God. How much do you pay for a gift? Nothing. What do you do in return for a gift? Say thank you. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So eternal life is something you don't earn, you accept it as a gift that comes from God. And, and that is the major theme of the book of Galatians, which is where I'm anchored and eventually I want to get to this morning. But, but that's the major theme. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about how after his conversion and after he'd been preaching for a while, that he, he went to Jerusalem and talked to the apostles there and talked to them because he heard that they were preaching something differently to what he was preaching. Or maybe he was preaching something different to what they were. So he went to see the apostles, the head honchos who'd been actually with Jesus and talked to them about their message because there was some specific question about whether Christians were obligated to still keep 
Jewish laws, the Old Testament laws of Moses. And, and Paul went and he talked that through with them and he talked to them about some of their behaviors and laid out the fact that he was preaching a message that said salvation is totally through faith in Jesus and when you trust Christ, you're free from rules and regulations. And, and turns out they found out they were actually, that they were on the same page. But a few years later now, Paul is writing to the believers in the Galatian churches in part of Turkey. And he is writing to these believers because the same thing is threatening to derail them. There was a strong influence being made upon the believers there that sure, you trusted Christ as your savior, but now you've got to do this. Now you've got to do that. So in Galatians 2 and verse 16, here's what it says. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So here he's making the point that it, if you put your faith in Christ, you are justified. That's an interesting word. Paul uses it here for the first time in all of his writings, and he uses it three times in the same verse. And you know what justified means? Justified means declared innocent. And through the death of Christ, you and I have been declared innocent. And when we embrace the fact Christ died for us, our sins are forgiven, our sentence of eternal death is removed, and we are freed then to live the life of blessing that God really intended for us. So if you are tempted sometimes to think, I wonder if God's punishing me for what's going on in my life. No, he's not. No, he's not. You know why I know that? Because Jesus took your punishment. And what Jesus did is sufficient to cover everything. Martin Luther, who was the father of the Reformation that really honed in on this whole concept of grace alone, Martin Luther said this, this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. There you go. Don't you wish he was your pastor? <laughs> Teach it to others. So you know what? You're going to hear a lot today that was similar to last week. You say, well, it's kind of uh, because Galatians 2 follows on from the theme of Galatians 1. And, and because maybe Luther did have something there, sometimes we need to hear a thing a few times till we actually fully come to grasp it. So I want to lovingly beat the truth of justification into your head this morning <laughs> so that when you leave here, you've got it. You've got it. So let's establish a few things that we find in this chapter. Number one, you can't be saved by what you do. You can't be saved by what you do. The more I interact with people and the more aware I've become of 
what people's real needs are and, and greatest needs are, the more I've come to realize that what people need more than anything else is they need their guilt removed. That's the biggest thing. So many people carry such a great load, and it's a load of guilt. But the sad thing is the delusion that was hitting the Galatian believers has trickled down through history. So that even sitting here this morning, you might be thinking to yourself, if I could just pull myself together, if I could really just be more consistent, if I could just shape up, if I could be more godly, God would be so much happier with me, and God would accept me. And you know what? That is the biggest lie of the biggest liar ever known. Jesus said the devil is the father of lies. You can't be saved by what you do. Listen, God couldn't love you more than he loves you now. It was his choice. It was his decision. He made us. He gave us life. He loved us. He loves us. God couldn't love you more than he loves you now. And you may say, well, it's Sunday morning. You don't know what I was up to last night. No, but you do, and God knows. But God still loves you, and he couldn't love you more. That isn't, but you don't know what road I've gone down. No, I don't know, but God knows, but he still couldn't love you anymore. <laughs> We don't earn God's love by good behavior. We receive God's love and let it set us free. Let's take a look again here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. So says Paul, how do we know? We tried it. <laughs> and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to do good. How do we get right with God? By trusting in Jesus. How can't we get right with God? By trying to do good. Now, you could try. You could try. It's actually not that complicated. There's just 10 rules, you know. Right? There are. There's only 10 rules. It's, 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 it's not that complicated. If you, could, if, if you could follow that path. So there you go. You want to do it that way. Here you go. I'll explain it to you. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. All right? You've got to love and serve the living God and have no other gods or God substitutes. You've got to reverence his name, his day, and honor your parents. You must avoid adultery, murder, and theft. You must never lie about your neighbor, or you must never covet anything that your neighbor has. Okay? Then you've got to just remember, by the way, that not only applies to your actions, but to your thoughts as well. Oh, and then we've got to tag on the ceremonial law of the things you must do and the special days you must keep and the things you must eat and the things you can't eat. And, and, and here's the kicker for the guys. You've got to be circumcised. 
And you've got to join a synagogue, by the way, and you've got to study the scriptures both in the synagogue and, and at home in private, and you've got to pray, and you've got to fast, and you've got to do, you've got to give to the poor. And if you do all of those things without failing in a single one on any occasion, God will accept you. Okay, how many of you think it's too late? Right? It's like, that ship sailed, I'm doomed. <laughs> yeah, we can't do it. You can't. Here's the list you've got from now till the day you meet Jesus. Stay out of trouble. No. It's not going to work. I, I can almost hear Queen playing and Freddie Mercury belting out, another one bites the dust. It's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, nice try. Nice try. Another one bites the dust. Nice try. <laughs> so. Because that is, what I've just described really is mission impossible. It really is. Psalm 143 verse 2 says this, in your sight, no one living is righteous. I mean, that's just the fact. None of us has kept every bit of all the rules every day of our lives. So in God's sight, nobody is righteous. But here's Galatians 3.24. This is such an important truth to grasp. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So the rules of the Old Testament, they were all there to kind of just help to keep us on a better track until Jesus came and offered us salvation through faith. Because you could never do it that way, but it helped keep us focused in a better direction. So the law was our guardian till Jesus came along. Many years ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, we used to sing a hymn that went like this. <laughs> How can a weary heart find rest by doubt dismayed, by sin oppressed? I strive to wash my sins away but failing, weep both night and day. I can't do it. I can't make it happen. And then it goes on, heart weary one, the work was done by God the Father's only Son. Could all mankind unite to pray, t'would never wash one sin away. For man is lost and dead in sin. Listen, but Jesus died our souls to win. He bore our guilt, endured our shame. Oh, blessed be his holy name. That's the good news. The good news is the work was done by God the Father's only Son. We can't save ourselves. Another thing I'm pulling out of Galatians 2 is this, and this is so important to grasp. Faith wipes the record clean. Faith wipes the record clean. Verse 16, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith wipes the record clean. The story of where you've been is the story of the past. It's history. When we trust Christ as our Savior, 
he wipes the record clean. We are justified by faith. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. In my own heart, I know, and God knows, I am guilty and deserve to be condemned. But what faith tells me is in Christ I am forgiven and I'm justified. And that is your standing this morning. Every single one of us, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified. Faith in Jesus is, is not just saying, well, I believe Jesus died for us. It's more than that. It's making a heart commitment to him and embracing the work of Jesus from within. Now, I've talked with people who said, well, when I gave my life to Christ, I recognized that he forgave me and he wiped the record clean, but um, after that, I'd better shape up. It's an interesting statement. Because if the thought is after that, it's up for, to me to earn and deserve the privilege Christ has given me, then, then that is totally off the wall. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it in the first place, and you don't keep it by earning it and deserving it. The gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about the grace of God. Now, the fact is, there is probably at least one or two people in this room that since you committed your life to Jesus, you have sinned once. All right, one or two, just one or two people probably. I'll be both of those, all right? So in 1 John, it says this. In, in John's first epistle, chapter 1, here's, here's what he says. He said, if we claim we're free from sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. Listen, he'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. So the, on, the forgiveness of Christ is ongoing. Thank God. Thank God. So if you have an episode, you wake up the next morning and think, oh man, alive. I've, I've just so let myself down. I've so let God down. And uh, I just want to tell you one thing. You can't lose the salvation that God gave you. I'll say it again because you all went quiet like you don't believe it. You can't lose the salvation God gave you. It's not that fragile. It's not that fragile. Oh, you can displease your heavenly father, but God isn't going to write you out of things. You don't spend your life hoping you can be good enough to cling on to the gift of God. You spend your life resting in the grace of God and more and more amazed as the years go by at his unbelievable goodness to you. Bible's not kidding when it says in Romans 8 and verse 1, there's, there, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's done. It's finished with. There is no condemnation. I am justified, declared Innocent. Romans 5.18. Here it is in a nutshell. 
Just as one person did it wrong and got us all in this trouble, that's Adam with sin and death, another person did it right, Jesus, and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. That's good. Now, if you're visiting with us, usually our folks would respond more enthusiastically than they did. But today's a slow morning. All right. But, but, but isn't it great to know that it's not just that God got us out of trouble, but he brought us into life. Isn't that wonderful? That, that that's what we found in Christ. So I'm not looking over my shoulder to see if God's chasing me down. I'm not living in the past feeling bad about what I've done. Jesus wiped the record clean, and because he's wiped the record clean, I've got no right to keep chalking stuff up on my wall either. I can't fixate on what God doesn't even see anymore. That's the reality. Faith wipes the record clean. But let me, let me say this then, because some of you are getting a little anxious now, because you're thinking, well, if we're saved by the grace of God and he keeps us whatever, does that mean I can go and do whatever I want and it won't make any difference? Here's the deal. If you know Jesus, you're not going to go and do whatever you want. Or, or let me rephrase that. Whatever you want to do is going to be the kind of things that pleases Jesus right? You either do things for people because they force you into it and fear you into it, or you do things for people because you love them and want to be a blessing to them, right? You know, the grace of God does, it takes away the stress and the pressure and the fear, and it brings us into a whole new dimension where we serve God as free people and we want to please God. So it's not a license to kill. It's not. Grace is not that. It's like, Greg, it's all, you know, God saved me. There's no condemnation. I can do what I like. But if you've really grasped the grace of God, what you like is what he likes. In fact, it was the same Martin Luther I've referred to apparently who said, trust in God and do what you like. Because if you're really trusting God, what you like is going to be what he likes as well. Grace inspires godly living. Over in the book of Philippians, chapter 2 and verse 12, it says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here's the deal. The Bible tells us to work out our salvation. It doesn't say work for it. Work it out. Let it be seen. Let it be evidenced. Let people see that. Anxious to please God. That's the fear and trembling. Not afraid, of, not afraid of, of, of getting punished. But I'm anxious. I want to please God. I want God to be happy with me. Justification means we are forgiven. The record is right, wiped clean. And we are free. Romans 5.1 since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Justified. And if you trust Christ as your Savior, that's your standing before God today. And that's how you need to be living. I am justified. I am forgiven. The record is wiped clean. I'm not having to earn God's love. I just want to live in God's love. Let me just go back here to Galatians 2.16. We know very well that we're not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know we tried it? We had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. It's all from trusting in the Messiah, not from trying to be good. Many of you have come from backgrounds and traditions where the line was always, so you've got to do this, so you've got to do that. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to be. Here's what you need to improve it. To earn the favor of God. And 23 years ago today, I was gearing up that the following morning, I would preach a message on grace. And I would remind everyone that all that we have is by the grace of God. And when we embrace the grace of God, that's big enough, that's good enough, and that is all we need. And with God's help, 23 years from today, I'll stand here and I'll share the same message. You know why? It's not because I've only got one sermon. It's because grace is the message of this whole book. It really is. It really is. Grace alone. Grace alone. That reminds us that Jesus' death did it all. We're going to conclude our service today by sharing communion with us. If, if you're kind of new to us and wondered what this little thing was on your seat, I hope you found it before you sat on it. Um, <laughs> This is our celebration cup that we use for communion. And um, if you are at home, I want to invite you just to uh, take a moment, if you want, just to grab a cracker or a piece of bread or something or other and something red. To, it might be early for wine, but that's your call. Um, or it doesn't need to be red. It's just something to, to join in with us. Because in a moment, we are going to share communion. But I want us to pray together just now, and, and then we're going to come to that. And let's just take a moment as we pray to thank God for His grace, for His goodness, for the immensity of His love. Father, we give You thanks that You so loved the world, so loved me, every one of us, that You gave Your one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. And we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus today and that through him, we are freely forgiven. We are reconciled to the Father and that we are set free. Thank you, Lord. As we come to share communion together, let me just remind you that it was the evening before his crucifixion when he was having supper with his disciples that Jesus at that time instituted what we call communion or a number of other phrases are used. When he took some bread and he took the cup of wine and he said, I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. And he took the wine and said, remember my blood was shed for you. Now, here's the thing I wanna just emphasize. He wasn't afraid we'd forget that he died, okay? The point of what we're doing right now is not to make sure we remember Jesus died for us. We've mentioned it already dozens of times this morning. We know Jesus died for us. It's more than that. It's remembering for our own selves the reality that he died so that we wouldn't die. Remember, my body was broken for you. There's a little thin film at the top if you manage to get that back and it's got a wafer inside it, which you might want to pull out. And the whole thing is this. Remember, remember my body was broken for you. Remember I've done it. Remember I'm paying the price. Remember I'm dying in your place. That's what we need to remember, not just the fact of Jesus' death, but the fact that Jesus paid it all. Let's just take that wafer and eat it together and say, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. And then if you pull back the thicker film underneath, there's some juice underneath. And Jesus took the cup of wine at that supper and said to his disciples, remember my blood was shed for you. Now, blood is a symbol of life. Jesus is saying, remember my life was given for your life. I will not know eternal death because Jesus' life was given for my life. Jesus paid it all. Let's just drink together and thank the Lord for dying for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you paid it all. You paid it all. We don't have to try to do what we could never do. But we live as free men and women because you've paid the price, opened the prison door, made the gateway to heaven for us. And because of your work, because of your grace, today we are your children and we give you thanks, Lord. Mm -hmm.
Amen.